Christ said they would come. He said the Antichrist and false prophets would come. To his disciples, he said, they shall come to you. And he told them how they would know them. He said that a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit, neither can a good tree bring forth evil fruit. For they shall have sheep's clothing. And he bid them they should not go after them, for they were inwardly ravening wolves in sheep's clothing. And these are the Antichrists, the false prophets, false Christs, and deceivers that raven inwardly from the light, and so from the seed, the true Christ. Paraphrased from George Fox's work titled, Some Principles of the Elect People of God Who Were in Scorn Called Quakers. This is the Ohio Yearly Meeting reading presentation and study of William Schuen's 1675 work entitled The True Christian's Faith and Experience. This is session number 30. And then turning these recordings into podcasts that will eventually be made available to all on the ohioyearlymeeting.org website. These sessions are intended for Wilburite friends, conservative friends, but are open to other interested parties as well. As usual, I will read the text, translating it into modern English as best I can, and amplifying and commenting on it as we go. As usual, this chapter, like so many before it, are full of words, phrases, and citations from the Bible, but uh, only rarely cited as such. Where we left off last time, which was part one, this will be part two of our reading of chapter 20, I felt it's an awkward place to stop, and we will go back a couple of paragraphs and review the last two paragraphs before it. There are a number of things that we can add and perhaps amplify a bit on what was being said there. Let's go to the text and read the title again. I'll just read the title again. This is part two on this chapter. Again, amplifying a few words by way of advice, counsel, and exhortation to such people as have newly turned in their minds from darkness within to light within, from the power of Satan within, the power of God within, through which the work of regeneration, of being born again by the Spirit, has begun within, so that such people may not miscarry in it or sit down by the wayside short of the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, what follows is written, seriously to be read, weighed, and considered. Are there any questions from last week? Henry, it occurred to me, is there a difference in the terminology between regeneration and being reborn? Are there implications that are inherent in regeneration that you don't have in rebirth? Regeneration is the word that I have most often found in early and later traditional Quaker works, although they will talk about being born again, but regeneration appears to be the most common word that I'm aware of anyway, that I've just come across, meaning the same thing, and it regenerates, you know, the root of that word is the root in Latin that means to be born, so it's born again, not physically, but spiritually. So in being born again, there's a lot of baggage that comes with that when we hear that today because of what other denominations express that and what they mean by it. But uh, again, it is a term, born again, used by Quakers as well. I don't know if I've answered your question or not. 
I don't know either, but I'll think about it. (laughs) (laughs) I think in a sense, it it really is different because we've gone through 20 chapters here and and Chewin has been talking about the true Christian who's been truly reborn or truly regenerated compared to one who thinks he has, but in his actions has not. And is that regeneration a one-time thing or an ongoing, continuing thing? We're born once, but are we reborn? Well, we're born once physically. But regeneration. The the second rebirth, is the second birth is a one-time thing too. And I don't think you keep on having more rebirths. It then depends on the growth in grace that happens after that. And, you know, there's a development further. We're talking about perfection, that the goal of that complete, the highest state that we can reach. That may differ for each of us, but it's depending on what we've been given. But that's what really matters is, is moving forward. Okay, I'm going to start rereading a long paragraph and then a short paragraph before we begin the newer stuff. Again, stop me too at some point. And this light within in which you have believed, as you walk in it, will show you the nature and tendency of the bait, though covered with golden pretenses, and the very look that is covered with it. So, as you wait and abide in this light, in vain is the snare in your sight. In vain are all his subtle devices against you. And in vain are all his variable appearances in order to deceive and destroy you. Whether he, the evil spirit, the devil, appear like a subtle serpent, or a Satan to accuse you as he did Job before God, or as a dragon or as you see in the book of Revelation, or a roaring lion to devour you, or as an antichrist. That is, antichrist, that prefix on anti has two meanings in Greek. One can mean opposed to Christ, but anti can also mean a substitute Christ, a substitution of the real Christ. So here, Satan can appear as a substitution of the real Christ. Or, on the contrary, Whether he appear like an angel of light, a messenger of light. Angel goes back to the Greek word angelos, which means messenger. A messenger of illumination, a message of light. With two horns, like a lamb and in sheep's clothing, looking fine, looking good. And further, though he appear in and assume the form of godliness and preach and confess Christ in his spiritual appearance within, in words, and talk of, and profess the light within, and the motion, the movement of the Spirit, and the learning of the Spirit, and a ceasing from man, and a learning of the anointing, light and grace within, and get into the throne and temple of God, and sit there like God, I say in vain are all his, the devil's variable, various appearances, wiles and works, formings and transformings, he can look godly. He can act godly. He can have, He can speak those words of talking about a spirit within, confessing Christ in that way. These are the subtle ways of the devil. I say in vain are all his variable appearances, wiles and works, formings and transformings. As your eye is kept single, which means sound, healthy, as your eye is kept healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And you will be able to say, as some of old did, 
we are not ignorant of his devices, of the devil's devices. And you will test and discern spirits. And that ear will be open that tests words as the mouth, like the mouth, tests, tastes meat and judges the diverse, the various sounds and voices and sees to the inside, root, ground, and foundation of things as they appear and give them names according to their nature as Adam did and judges righteously concerning them with a righteous judgment an understanding that gives a righteous judgment, and not according to appearance only, not judging to according to appearance only, whether within yourself or outside yourself. As in this wisdom and discerning you abide, you dwell, you will travel safely on from faith to faith, from knowledge to knowledge, from one degree of grace and glory to another till you come to be fully gathered from the east, west, north, and south, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God, the goal, the end, the aim. And also knowing the Son surrender the kingdom to the Father, and God become all in all. Then you shall know as you are known, and see as you are seen, and death shall be swallowed up in victory, mortality by immortality. And there shall be no more sea, death or sorrow, crying or pain, former things having passed away, and all things made new. This is that final state we are striving for. This state, state of understanding, state of existence, state of being, state of mind, this state John saw in his divine and heavenly revelation in the book of Revelation. And you, abiding in love and walking in the Spirit, will not only see it, but enjoy it. Read Revelations, Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And the Lord give you understanding more and more and increase your joy in believing and strengthen your faith and hope that they may be like a trusty defense shield and like an anchor, sure and steadfast, to preserve you from all assaults of the devil and from splitting apart upon a rock or sands till you arrive at the haven of eternal rest and lie down in the valley where your bread, yes, your daily bread, fresh and fresh from the table of the Lord, will be sure." and your water will not fail, where no one can make you afraid, where no enemy can prevail, where no danger of making shipwreck of faith and a good conscience exists, where there is no destroyer, where all tears and the cause of them are wiped away, where faith and hope have an end, a goal, a final goal, and where the heavenly city is, the heavenly Jerusalem, whose gates stand always open, and yet no unclean thing can enter. As you persevere in the light and obey and follow him who has called you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and transferred you from the gross darkness of it, you will thereby be led to inherit, that is to obtain and possess these things. For it is he that endures to the end that shall be saved. We have one phrase after another, mostly from the New Testament. Any comments or questions as we review that? What are the implications of there being no more sea? Is there something to be understood by that? 
The sea was often understood to be a place of severe danger because of all the storms and everything that could happen on the Mediterranean Sea, especially in the wintertime. I mean, I think we have a lot of knowledge of that today with all these refugees coming across in boats and so many of them capsizing. And of course, it was even or just as bad 2,000 years ago. I think today we look at the sea very differently than uh, folks did in Palestine, Israel. So there was more of a sense of a negative sense to it. So many people today might love to go to a beach on a nice summer day, but that wasn't the sense 2,000 years ago. And again, we're talking here about that final goal uh, and persevering up until that final state as best we can in reaching it to enjoy all of these things that have been mentioned here. Now, tender friend, sensitive friend, as you walk in your way, the light within, the spirit and grace of God within, I'll just stop here with wanting to say something about this word spirit. Again, the word spirit comes from a Latin word, which is a translation of a Greek word. That Greek word, pneuma, basically had an outward as well as an inward meaning. Outwardly, it meant wind or breath, a movement, an invisible movement of air. But inwardly, in a non-physical sense, it meant spirit as we understand spirit an invisible current of God, that divine current. As I often think of it when I see the word spirit, I think of the word current. So as you walk in your way, the light within, the spirit and grace of God within, which teaches not only to reject ungodliness and worldly cravings, worldly desires, but also to live seriously, righteously, and godly in this present world, you are safe. But I do advise you, notwithstanding, to take great heed and watch diligently against the enemy of your happiness in all his appearances, that is, Satan, especially when he appears in the form of truth itself, truth with a capital T, actually, with the words of truth in his mouth, and with the very likeness, imitation of truth. For I have seen him there, and he has beguiled, he has deceived and betrayed many people through that method in this age, specifically since we were a people, Quakers. And he effected it through drawing the mind away from being focused upon God, waiting low in his light to wonder after and desire something else, which he made appear lovely to behold the attaining of which he persuaded them would better their condition and increase their glory, as we know happened with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The serpent told them that they would become like gods if they ate of that fruit, and they disobeyed God by doing that. So in hope, many people, after they have been presented as a chaste virgin to Christ, for Christ have again been subjected to vanity in this age, as mankind was in the beginning with Adam and Eve, and have lost a present good state by believing the lies of the serpent, Satan, who told them they could enjoy something better. Some people he has drawn out in this way, and by others of his wiles of tricks, to that degree of apostasy and degeneration, Again, apostasy meaning they have rejected or they are straying from those beliefs, those principles that they believed in earlier. 
and degeneration, degenerating from them, that they have become like trees twice dead and plucked up by the roots, never likely to grow in the garden of God again, whose way and end is utter darkness, out of which there is no redemption, there is no freeing from, no liberation from. Sometimes the devil tempts us to do things to make ourselves more righteous in our own effort instead of receiving that which comes from God. What's so important here is understanding that Satan, the devil, the evil spirit, that spirit of evil can look and sound so much like something truly godly, truly the truth. And that's where we have to be very much on guard against falling for those kinds of tricks. And it's not that the tricks are new, but we even look at him trying to tempt Jesus and quoting scripture. He can sound like Jesus. He can profess Jesus. Uh, again, I think this is why we have so many, so many different denominations, Christian denominations, one after another, all falling for various tricks of the devil and saying, this is Christ, or that is Christ. You know, look here, here he is, or look there, there he is. No, we have to be on guard again and again. It's happened again and again. One should never underestimate the power of Satan fool people, even though Christ is greater than that. One needs to really be focused, stayed upon God completely. Okay, let's go on now. This is a new section. Now, his other ways and means whereby he lies in wait to deceive are more open and manifest, but his working under the form of truth, with a capital T, are more secret and mysterious, and more likely to prevail upon the mind of the simple, unless a diligent watch be kept than when he appears as he is. As he is, many people can recognize him as he is. By this means, I have known him, Satan, not only get into the temple of God and sit there, but to be worshipped as God, and exalted above all that is called God or that is worshipped beside him. Now, Satan, evil, never got into the temple, or sat there, or was worshipped under the name of a devil, Satan, or prince of darkness, now or in any age, but secretly under a disguise, clothing himself like an angel of light, like a messenger, a message of illumination. Oh, this is what we really should be believing in. Huh? No. An angel of light that desired and endeavored the good of mankind. This is the real deception, that he can sound like he's saying something for our own benefit. By this means, he came and comes to be obeyed and worshipped, not as he is, but as he appears to be. One always has to watch out for those outward appearances. Now, this temple where he sits and where he is worshipped is the heart and mind of mankind in the degenerate state, not yet in that state of regeneration. That temple, if you recall, the Apostle Paul says to his congregations, you are, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Shuin is referring here. This temple where he sits and where he is worshipped is the heart and mind of mankind in the degenerate state. But that which reveals him with his secret mystery, secret of iniquity, 
is the light and spirit of God in which you have believed, working and operating in the same place within you, and, quote, consuming him, Satan, with the spirit of his mouth, and destroying him with the brightness of his coming. But this you do not know effected as soon as you believe. It is a work done by degrees. Your safety and duty is to wait with patience for the coming, for the appearance of the Lord in that light and grace which sits and prepares his way and teaches you how to join with him when he appears, the reference to first epistle of John, and to help the Lord against the mighty and to meet him in the way of his judgments by which Zion is redeemed. Zion Jerusalem, Israel is liberated, is redeemed. Any comments there? This reminds me of Stephen Crisp's sermon number 14, in which he asks, how many of you like the government of Satan? And he goes on saying how that many people have tried to overcome and have not been able to. They have consulted with people more experienced than themselves, hoping to get the victory that way, and it's of no avail. And he ends up this section by saying that we have no hope, except we come as a poor, broken, helpless people that have no hope except Christ appear among us. And this is what we are to experience as we gather together for worship. Yes, yes. When it uh, says how to join with him when he appears, would that be of the sense of being aligned with him? We're in talking there about obedience. In, in heart and mind. Coming into obedience to Christ, as it says in, uh, was it First Corinthians? I forget now. We need to listen to that more powerful voice within us, Christ within us, rather than this tempting voice that is leading us astray. Which, of course, as we read in an earlier chapter, so many people feel that temptations are just too powerful, that there isn't something we can do about it. But, of course, friends have believed there is, that there is a greater divine power in us to help us at those times. Christ within. And maybe Shewan will get into it later. Accusation is one of the tools the enemy uses to get our eyes off Christ and onto self and self-effort. Well, that's the word Satan means, the accuser. He accuses us of things. He confuses us. You know, he accuses us before God, so to speak, that you're no good, you're this and that, blah, blah, blah. That has an effect on us, clearly. All right, let's go on. And so, as you wait here, you will discern him when he appears, Satan appears, from all, or when Christ appears, from all the appearances of your enemy and be made willing in this day of his power to yield up your heart, mind, and strength to him, to Christ, and to serve him, love, fear, and obey him. This is required on your part. This is what I was saying about obedience. So you will know him to appear to you as a morning without clouds, and in his light you will see more light and know it shine more and more up to a complete day, a full day till through the brightness of it, the whole mystery, the whole secretness of iniquity is revealed. And the man of sin, that is the Adam of sin, that is Satan. Man in Hebrew is Adam, which is what we think of when we think of Adam and Eve. 
And so the Adam of sin, the originator of sin, that is Satan, is destroyed. And the temple, the temple within, cleansed from all that does defile it. And the mystery, the secret of godliness displayed there, and truth and righteousness sit upon the throne and reign where sin and unrighteousness did reign, specifically in your heart and mind, will, and conscience. I think so often of the battles we see in the book of Revelation are really battles that we are seeing again and again within ourselves, the struggles between good and evil. And that's what's being said here. But Christ within is the victor if we are in obedience to him. I like the line where he says, be made willing. So it's not our job to make our own heart willing, but it is our job to yield up our heart, mind, and strength to him who makes us willing. Yes. Our part is to give up our heart, mind, and desires up to God so that he might cleanse them and make us willing to say yes to God all the time. Then the earth will rejoice and the heavens rain down fatness, fullness of flesh, of meat, and everlasting peace will be in your dwellings. But again, Shuin here is reminding these new Quakers to be focused on God, be focused on the light within, the light of Christ within, that of God within, to fight this battle with Satan. We cannot do it alone. We is the cross not part of this, I believe? Inward cross. Yeah, allowing ourselves to be in the cross to the world. Again and again, we go back to that quotation that occurs in, I believe, three of the Gospels about if you want to become a follower of, of Christ Jesus, you must deny yourself. You must reject your worldly ego. You must pick up the cross daily. That is the inward cross daily. That means of destroying all that is from Satan there, all the temptations, cravings, whatever, the lusts, and then come follow him. In order to maintain that, you must hold fast that which you have. Let no one take away your crown, that future crown. To what you have attained, walk there, pressing forwards to the end of your race, where the crown of life, the crown of eternal life is laid up, waiting for you. And take heed of your own thoughts and imaginings, your own conceivings and consultations, and of that will that does not do, does not work the righteousness of God. Those of your own house will prove you're to be your greatest enemies if you do not walk in the light which reveals them. And take up, oh, this is what Nancy was just saying, and take up the cross that crucifies them and is able to bring every high thought and imagining into the obedience of Christ. Again, into the obedience of Christ. This is what we are crucifying, taking up that daily cross, that daily inward cross, that form of execution. We must execute all those temptations from Satan. And while this is bringing it to pass, abide in patience, bearing the cross of Christ, the inward cross of Christ, which is the power of God, and keep your eye fixed on it. And do not look downward to the earth or at the smoke that ascends out of the bottomless pit and darkens the air, or at the dragon that is making war in heaven in the sky. 
but rather join with Michael, the prince, and follow the Lamb, who is riding on, conquering and to conquer. So you shall overcome and sit down with him on his throne, as he, Jesus, sat down with his father on his throne, and know your enemies made your footstool. I'm assuming what he says earlier about his house here, those of your own house, that's within you. Those beings, those thoughts, everything within you, in your house, your own house, will prove your greatest enemies. Of course, there will be enemies of your family, if you're thinking this way as well. But it's taking up the cross against them, crucifying those thoughts, those inclinations, those worldly inclinations, those inclinations from the spirit of evil including our own willpower to, to make our own righteousness. We worship self. So many of us are in that mode, have been for so long, that we think we have God on our side. You know, I mean, is that really a subtlety of the devil there saying that to us? We have to be very careful. I had been thinking, Henry, how all of this fits in with the 10th chapter of John with the idea of the Christ as the shepherd. And in that, you see the shepherd leading the sheep out into the pasture. And it's not a safe pasture. The only reason it is safe is because the shepherd is there. The lion and the wolf are prowling around the edges, but they can't get at the sheep because the shepherd is there. And now in this last sentence or two, he has completely destroyed that analogy because the shepherd has become a lamb. I don't know. I can't go any farther than that. We have to be careful not to split or combine two different analogies, having two differences, following the lamb. I understand what you're saying, but I think we have to keep those two things separate as to what's being said there as well as what's being said here. The prince is the prince of peace. Michael is the archangel, you know, and the lamb, of course, is Christ, the sacrificial lamb. This is in, I'm forgetting what chapter in, uh, the book of Revelation, writing on to conquer, is that chapter six? I don't remember now. But if we think about how did Jesus overcome and conquer, he didn't call on the angels or pick up a sword to make war. He allowed himself to be crucified. And so us too, inwardly, we are gain God's victory by allowing our flesh to be crucified, not by fighting by ourselves in our willpower and our strength, but in surrender. Jesus, in allowing himself to be crucified, was basically obeying God, even to death on the cross, as it says in the second chapter of Philippians. It was complete obedience to God, even to something as horrible as that, that the faith of Jesus, the trust of Jesus in God the Father was so complete. That is a model for us, to have that same faith, that same belief as he did since he is our divine model. Obedience is such an important word. I've mentioned this in a different series. The word obey and obedience go back to a couple of Latin words, which basically the root of those words means to listen to. When we listen to someone, we hear them, but it also has the sense of to obey. Listen to me, do what I'm telling you to do. Go out and sweep the porch or something, but it's listen to me. That's the sense of listen, that it's not just hearing and then not doing. There is that parable of two sons. The father says for them to do something. One says, I will, and he doesn't do it. Whereas the other one doesn't say that, but he does go and do it. 
That's what matters, doing it. And doing it is not very hard when you already received his heart. It's not hard to walk in the heart of love. In fact, it's a joy. I'm looking at the new paragraph here. We're starting a new section here in this chapter. This might be a good place to stop at because we're getting into his concern about having forms and getting stuck on forms and whatnot, and then clothing and, and the like. Um, so yeah, I think we'll stop right here for today. And I'm assuming we will have at least one or two more sessions before we end this. I am planning to go on to then do and read and study the epistle from the elders at Balbi, that 1650, 1658 work. But I do want to take a break, perhaps for about a month or so, between starting that new one and completing this. So I'm guessing we'll have a couple more sessions on this in the next couple of weeks. Anyway, any further comments here on this last section? Again, I'm, I'm stressing looking at obedience. I know people out there in the world today, they don't like that word obedience, but it's an essential thing. It's very much there in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Again and again, it's mentioned, obey God, obey Christ. You want to be a follower of his. You need to do what he says. You need to listen. For me, uh, coming out of evangelical religion, obedience seemed to be always achieved by the act of willpower. When friends mentioned obedience and stressed obedience, all I heard was willpower, willpower, willpower. And it's like, nope, it's the willingness to walk in his love and in his righteousness and in his glory and go his way. I'm not talking about evangelical friends, but just in general with so many denominations, obeying their rules and interpretations and believing what they each individually as different denominations understand to be something. That is the problem. I mean, there are just so many denominations, so many different people who call themselves Christians, and yet they believe in so many different things, sometimes totally contrary things to what one and the other are saying. It's really sad, but that's what we have there. We need to be aware of that. And it's often that if you follow God instead of man, they will label you as rebellious. Well, just I would say keep in mind what we just read today as well as last time about angels of light, messages of illumination, of light. They seem even better than whatever we have, and people are falling for these things. We need to be very humble and really focused on God within to deal with thrown at us at whatever time and whatever situation, whatever country, uh, period of history we are at. It's not a new problem. It was right there in early Christianity with the docetists and then later on the, the various forms of Gnosticism, all these various apostate, heretical kinds of thoughts that came in and, and led many people astray. It's no different today than it has ever been. But it's really so important to really focus on what is so essential. Shun will say a little bit more about this in the next session or two. This chapter 20 is really there to warn us, as he was warning these folks who just became Quakers, these new friends, about the dangers. You know, you can even sound like a Quaker in everything you say. But if there's not that inward kind of connection and really listening to Christ within, you're going astray. In two or three different places in the New Testament, 
there's that warning about watching out for those who say, look here, here's Christ, or low, low here, or low there, there's Christ, here's Christ. We have all these different Christs. We still have them today in different denominations. They're not the same Christ. I get upset with people saying, oh, if it's a Christocentric thing, then it's okay. No, that's not what early friends were saying whatsoever. Everybody back in the 1600s, almost everybody were Christians, and uh, they understood that the outward name doesn't mean something. It's really what is inward, what really matters. If that's, that's what really matters. Um, that's a hard thing, I think, for many people to understand. They rather want the simple thing. Oh, it's called Christian, so it's okay. No. There are false Christs as well as a true Christ. I'm thinking about this word that you were talking about, either Greek or Latin, about obey or hear. It's the same in the Hebrew. For example, Exodus 19, 5 and 6, where he gives the basic tenet to the people that if you will hear slash obey my words, I will be your God and you shall be my people. That is a conditional statement. You will be my people if. And later on in Deuteronomy, when the people are in front of the mountain and they're saying, we cannot abide this, we can't endure hearing the voice of God, you, Moses, go and let God speak to you, and then you come tell us what we're to do. God says in chapter 5, Oh, that my people had such a heart in them, that they would fear me always and keep my commandments again, hear my voice, obey my voice. And then in the Gospels, God speaking at the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my chosen one, hear him. Mm -hmm. Listen to him. It strikes me that obedience is something that we receive from God by being open to hearing. Just like faith comes from hearing, so does obedience and alignment of our hearts and minds with his. It's received from him and it's produced by him within us. What is our part is our part is the willingness or the willingness to be made willing <laughs> and to offer up our hearts and minds and desires to him so that he might purify them. I didn't say specifically earlier, I may as well say it now, that when I was talking about the English words obey and obedience, they're borrowed from a couple of Latin words. And the root in the Latin words is the root A-U-D. We have that same root in words like audio, you know, it means to hear, auditory, auditorium, where you hear things, hear people, audition, you have a hearing, that's the root in the Latin. It doesn't, you don't see much of a left, of the root left in the word obey or obedience, well, the ED in obedience, but that is the root there. There's just a close relationship between hearing, listening, and obeying. God is not telling us to do something and then expecting nothing. <laughs> He's telling us something for our own good, that if you obey, you will get what is good for you. Okay. All right. I think I will shut off the recording. We would like to remind friends that positive ratings and reviews help others to discover our podcast series. So, if thee enjoys these recordings, thee might want to share thy opinion on the podcast platform of thy choice. This podcast has been a production of Ohio Yearly Meeting. It was hosted by Henry Jason and edited by Kim Palmer. The introduction and credits were read by Chip Thomas. The quote in our introduction was taken from George Fox's work titled, 
some principles of the elect people of God who in scorn are called Quakers. It was paraphrased from chapter 32 concerning false prophets and antichrists. A link to that work can be found in the show notes to this episode. We welcome feedback on this or any of our podcast episodes. Contact us through our website, ohioyearlymeeting.org, or email us at oimconservative at gmail.com.